Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. Happy Resurrection. We have been reading through the book of Joel as we approached Easter. Might ask what the book of Joel has to do with Easter, but as we have delved into it, I'd like to think that the relevance has become clear. It is a book about a problem. Israel is plagued with an army of locusts or an army like locusts. As I've, as I've said, and, and this has come upon them because Israel has abandoned the Lord. Joel doesn't just talk about the problem, but he gets to the heart of the issue. Uh, what is Israel to do in light of this catastrophe, this plague? And Joel offers the answer that the people must unite. There must be unity. The people must be united again, not united in sin, but united in the Lord. First, he tells them that they have to recognize their sin. That's the story of all of us. You can't be saved until you recognize that you need saving, and you call out to the Savior and say to God, please save me. The people needed to realize they had sinned. They had to mourn their sin, not just realize it, but recognize it's a problem. Uh, It cannot be an academic exercise. We really need to feel bad that our relationship with God is, is ruined by our sin. Uh, after the morning comes repentance. We're called to change our ways, to stop doing our thing, and to now follow the Lord. Again, more than just words, true repentance means to turn from what we did and embrace the new. And after repentance, as we talked last week, comes the hope of a better future. God offers hope if we accept him. And he blesses us. And so here we are today at the end of the book of Joel, uh, united in salvation. That's, that's, the, that's the happy ending to the book. Uh, there, is, there is hope. Joel, Joel is a great book. It's a great Easter book to study. Like Israel, our problem is sin. The church must unite under the lordship of Jesus Christ to get rid of sin. We have to recognize that sin is indeed a problem, that we cannot be redeemed from our sin until we, are, until we regret it, until we mourn it. Um, we, we must repent from our sins, turn from them. We, can't, we cannot follow God and continue to do our own thing and live our old life. With repentance comes hope, and with hope we have salvation. And that is the message of Easter. Jesus Christ came to die for us so that... We who accept his offer of salvation may redeemed, may be redeemed from the power of sin and raised to be heirs of salvation. It is no wonder that this little book of Joel is quoted so often in the New Testament. There's a lot packed in here. I'd like to read uh, starting in chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. In those days and at that time, 
when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people of Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you've done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Our Lord, he is the one who decides. Like, like David, we ask the question, King David, we ask the question, why do the wicked prosper? Why do, why do good things happen to bad people? Every one of us sees that in the world around us. We see the injustice of it. Why do, why do the good people who who do their best and, and, and are good people, morally good people, why do they get the rough breaks in life? And it seems like the greedy and unscrupulous continue to have better and better things. It doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. And we can ask, where is God in this? Why does he allow the wicked to prosper? Isn't, isn't God supposed to bless his people? Isn't that why we follow him? We, we claim that we believe in a God who is just. Justice is a biblical virtue that we see that, that, that matters to God. But things don't seem just, do they? Why does it seem like his blessings continue to flow on the ungodly? One of the things that we have to realize is that maybe what we call a blessing isn't what God calls a blessing. For, for example, many of us might consider people dying young unjust, and that everybody deserves to live to a ripe old age and in health and in, and, and in full, full in all their, with all their faculties. Um, for, for those of us, go, this, this is tough, for, for those of us going to heaven, maybe this life isn't. Maybe God letting us live long isn't the blessing that we think, because heaven's better. Right? I mean, everybody makes fun of Detroit, and so I'll do it too for today. And I'm not picking on them. I mean, Detroit's kind of famous as the city that was once great that kind of, it's really struggling right now. Um, If you said, Jason, you get a free one-week vacation to Detroit, followed by a free one-week vacation to the Bahamas, I'm okay cutting the first one short to get a little extra in the second. I'm okay with that. Nothing against the people of Detroit. Uh, hardworking, good people. I'm not saying that they're not. But the city's fallen on hard times. And I don't know that I want to stay in Detroit all that long with the Bahamas are, are an option and a resort. And, and, and this world, it's not great. I mean, compared to heaven, I appreciate the blessings God has given us. But if heaven is waiting, may, maybe, praying to keep, maybe praying to keep Christians out of heaven isn't always the best of things. Our reward 
is with God. Why, why, why would we put that off? Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder before the throne. Seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. I want to actually see that. I don't know that I need to... Don't get me wrong. If God, you know, I get why Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. If God keeps me around, may I minister on his behalf. If he calls me home, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Because it's going to be better there. So, so sometimes, and so, you know, we spend, sometimes churches spend so much time praying, and I think we should pray for the sick. Let me be clear. And I think pain is no fun, and nobody wants to go through pain. And so if people are suffering, I want to pray that they're not in, in suffering. But, man, we, doesn't it seem like sometimes the church maybe prays to keep people out of heaven? So I, I say that to say we, we make sure that what we consider a blessing is what, what God considers a blessing. This is our reward, Revelation. It's beyond John's ability to describe. Long life on earth is only a blessing when spent in the service of God, advancing his kingdom. The value that, li- the value that life holds is in that. Take away Christian service in this life isn't as good. It's not as great. Um, for those who reject God, the, the reason we pray that they get better is that they have time to accept God. I mean, I, I want to be clear on that. I do want to pray that non-Christians get better because I want them to become Christians, because God loves them, and if they, if they get better, then, 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 then they can have still a chance to accept Christ as their Savior. Habakkuk asks this question about why do the wicked prosper while the good perish? Where are you, he asks God, in all the pain and the suffering in this world? And God's answer to Habakkuk is still the answer to Joel. God says, I have a plan. I decide how this world, what what is going on in this world. I will judge the nations. I am the Lord of justice. My will shall be carried out. And so we ask, why do the wicked prosper? And the response is, they, they prosper for a while. But we who follow God, the suffering in this life is short term. Eternity is long. And we will be with God forever. And that's when his justice will be. In fact, and, and again, I'm not sure that we want justice. I want grace. I know what I've done. I want God to forgive me. I don't want to get what I've earned. God will judge the world. God will judge the nations, every person in each nation. The imagery that Joel uses here is very similar to the one that the prophet Obadiah uses. He describes the shameful way the nation of Edom treated Israel mocking their misfortune, casting lots for the survivors in in times of calamity. And as Obadiah says to Edom, Joel repeats, what you do will come back to haunt you one day. Your deeds will return upon you. God protects his people. Those he has chosen, he calls his treasured possessions. I've said that before. I love that imagery. Uh, 
We are his treasures. Imagine that. Of all the indescribable things our God has made, universes, mountain peaks, deepest ocean trenches, the smallest bugs, the largest whales, molecules and universes. Out of all of that, we are his treasured possession. You alone. And he loves you. Knowing you. Knowing what you've done. He loves you and works to protect you and works to call you home. The Lord sits in judgment on the nations and the God of justice will make his decisions. He promised us that he will decide against those who do wrong and he will save those who follow him. We have hope. Let's keep reading in the book of Joel in verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people a stronghold for the people of Israel. Our God devours. I think for many that God is sunshine and rainbows and soft, fluffy animals. They focus on just the love of God. God loves everybody and he wants to save everybody. All This is true. But they don't want to focus on the full image of God. It, 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 as a board game collector, I collect, I have, I, I collect dice. Weird ones. Okay. Not, I know you guys think of the little cubes with the numbers. I have dice that range from four-sided up to 30-sided and everything in between. Two, four, every, every even number. I've got, yes, I have 14-sided dice and 26-sided dice, and I've got everything between four and 30. Um, and, and all dice have a feature in common. You can't see opposite sides at the same time. Most dice, did you know that most, most of them, the numbers add up on the opposite, like on six-sided dice, the numbers add up to seven, the opposite sides. The one and the six, the two and the five, the three and the four. And a lot of the dice, and you can never see the opposite sides at the same time. That goes without saying. They've, they've got facets, and, and, and the more sides, the more you can see, but the more you can't see as well. You can't ever see more than half of it at a time. The most you can do if you hold up one of those little, little cubes that come with your Monopoly set, the most you can do is if you hold it right, you can see three sides, but you can't see the other three, right? And, and a lot of people... With God, they see a facet of God. God is loving. Absolutely he is. And he wants to forgive. He does. And he wants to save, and he does. But that's not the whole picture, is it? Because this same God who wants to save everybody flooded the earth and killed everybody but eight. He, he punished Israel with armies and, and maybe locusts. He loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, but this same Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple 
with whips and scourges. He drowned the armies of Pharaoh beneath the waters of the Red Sea. He brought captivity and punishment on Israel and Judah when they rebelled against him. And so I get it when the writer of Hebrews says, it is a dreadful thing. New Testament, people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so harsh. It's Jesus who tells us about hell. The Old Testament tells us nothing about hell. That's a New Testament thing. That's Jesus who tells us, this is what happens if you don't follow me. And the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says, this is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We read about wine presses, and I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 14, where we read that Jesus, in however you take Revelation as far as its, its look at what is coming, that Jesus, the rider on a white horse, will tread the wine presses of his wrath, trampling his enemies underfoot until the blood flows as high as the horse's. That's not rainbows and sunshine, is it? Some churches teach only the message that Jesus loves you. Some, some feel that we have enough problems in our, in our lives. I, I've seen some preachers say, we don't want to talk about sin anymore. There's enough going on in the world. That's why we need to talk about sin. This world would be a whole lot better if we talked about fleeing sin and the problems that sin has brought us. God is a loving God, people ask, so how can he ever be displeased and disappointed in anything that we do? All that matters, they say, is that we love Jesus. But that doesn't line up with the Bible. That's, that's looking at a few parts of the Bible and not looking at the whole picture. In fact, Paul and the Apostle spend an awful lot of time telling us to flee sin, to stop doing it. God doesn't, if God doesn't care about sin, I don't think the Apostle... Back in the day when paper was really hard to make and expensive... I don't think the apostles would have wasted, and, and, and no whiteout. I don't know how they live. How did humanity live without whiteout? Backspace on my computer is the greatest thing. Of all the inventions, air conditioning and all these toilets, and backspace on my computer is, I think, the single most useful thing that has ever been invented. I can type anything wrong. and Autocorrect I don't like because it's hit a point where it's just given up on my typing. It just quit. <laughs> it doesn't like me anymore. It can't figure out what I'm trying to say. But at least I can backspace and fix it. And, and before that, I mean, as a kid, I had the typewriter that my, that my mom got and dad got me, and there was whiteout, which I used the daylights out of. Um, back before that, <laughs> writing was a big deal. Paper was a huge deal. It was expensive. Ink was a big deal. You took the, if you took the time to write it, it mattered. These days I can type whatever I want to. I can get on my computer this afternoon, type a bunch of nonsense, print it out, no big deal. Back then, if you took the time to write it, it must have mattered. And the apostles spend a lot of time telling us sin matters, God hates it, flee from it. God hates sin in our lives. And, and he does punish the wicked and the ungodly. Joel chapter 3, verse 16, we read, The Lord roars from Zion, thundering from Jerusalem. Earth and sky tremble before him. This is not the image of a docile lamb, a cuddly teddy bear that some want to make him out to be. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the rider on the white horse of Revelation who makes war against the nations, against his enemies. The one who hurls the great dragon Satan into the abyss. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 16, the Lord promises Israel that those who devoured them will be devoured. Powerful words surely come to mind to a nation that has suffered this plague of locusts. We serve a loving God. 
But never forget that he is a holy God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into his hands. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I... And, and, here, and here's the obvious. So I do like, as much as I say that I'm kind of a non-technology guy, electricity is amazing. I appreciate air conditioning. I, anybody in the back theoretically should appreciate, you guys can hear me in the back. Microphones are great. Overhead lighting is wonderful. I like overhead lighting because at night, after Calypso goes to bed, I don't have to read comic books by candlelight. I like overhead lighting. Um, but, but I fear electricity. It may bring me wonderful gifts, but it's very, very dangerous. I got a, a pair of pliers at home that uh, there's a giant chunk that's missing from them because God saved my life. I was working on something, and I, did, I thought I had the right fuse removed from the box. I did not. And, and that spark took out a, ch- that, that took out a chunk of those pliers. If that had been me, I'd be dead. So I appreciate these pliers because they saved my life. They took the charge for me. That electricity stuff is, is, is deadly. I love it, but I'm afraid of it too. Absolutely. Water. Ever drown? I, I drowned in high school. I, I, I was drowning in high school and got, re- and got rescued. I like boats. I like kayaking. I, I, drinking water. Swimming's okay. I don't really like it. Having nearly drowned once, it's not really fun anymore. I like water. I appreciate water. I'm scared of water, quite honestly. I'm scared of. I've said I'm scared of needles too. They save me shots. I appreciate. I appreciate the things that medicine has done. They keep us alive. I'm still scared of needles. I fear the Lord. The Bible says that I should. I love Him. He loves me. He is so good to me. But with that, with that comes a fear that if I'm not right with Him. There's going to be problems. He loves you. He desires to be your dearest friend. But we should not treat him disrespectfully. God loves you and he hates sin. And we do need to talk about that and his condemnation of sin. What is the point of redemption if we're not being redeemed from something? We are redeemed from sin. Those that take away the power of sin do not preach the whole gospel. We, we love the imagery of Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4 where the people beat their swords into plowshares. But did you read this here? The paradises that those prophets paint us will only come after judgment. First, there will be wrath when Joel tells us the plowshares will be beat into swords. The ungodly will one day take up conflict against the king of heaven. And on that day, the Lord will defeat sin once and for all. And the bad news for so many, there will be a reckoning. There will be punishment for those that don't follow him. Multitudes, says Joel in verse 14, will be brought before the Lord to make a decision. Woe to those who decide against the Lord. They will be devoured. It is our decision to make. God does not make that decision for us because he values, he values our freedom. He doesn't make us follow him. But having said all of this about why it is healthy to have a fear of the Lord biblically, the book of Joel, like most of the books of the Bible, ends on a positive note, but for those that follow him, there is salvation. Look with me at verse 17. 
Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. We gather together every Sunday, but especially on Easter Sunday, to to celebrate that the God that we serve has offered us deliverance. To the people of Israel, he offered deliverance from the plague of locusts and, and from the armies that threatened her. But he offers us so much more through Jesus Christ. The Lord offers us deliverance from sin and from the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. We can't sit here and claim that we, what we have done isn't that bad. That we don't deserve to go to hell. We can't say that. Not with any assurance, can we? When we die, our fate, our, our spirit is in the hands of the Creator. And if the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, God's way is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's pretty exclusive. Either Jesus was mistaken when he said that, or he was right. If he was right, then we must be right with him. Not, not our version of Jesus. He's not subjective. We cannot, what, what we think he should be like, that doesn't matter. We must be with the real Jesus. We cannot reconcile Jesus with our life. We have to reconcile our life with him and with his gospel. So Joel ends, ends his book with these powerful words that the Lord will dwell in Zion. The idea here is the central Zion is another word for, for the, the hill, the, the mountain that Jerusalem was built upon. It's the central idea, the central thrust of the Bible. One day we will live with God. Jerusalem is this analogy of, of living with God. In the Old Testament, the people looked forward to the day when the Lord would dwell with his people. In chapter 2 of Joel, he says that on the day of the Lord, God will pour out his spirit on all people. And then God did send his son Jesus, Emmanuel, to live among us, to teach us. Even so much better than anything that the people of the Old Testament could have imagined. But Jesus said then that he would have to leave. That's what we celebrate, right? That he would leave so that the spirit would come. that the Comforter might dwell in our hearts, and that day came, and we have his Spirit in our hearts right now. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us in ways that he was not with Israel in the Old Testament. And, and the best news is that's not where it ends. There's more to come. This is just a foretaste. For those who are being saved, all the blessings of this life is just a hint of what is still to come for us. One day, yes, we will all die, one day we will die, but the Bible tells us that to be absent in the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. We will dwell 
in our home that has been prepared for us in heaven with God forever. But the reward is not heaven. The reward is that we will dwell with God. He is our reward. Salvation doesn't just mean that we don't have to go to hell. Salvation means that we get to live with God forever. That's the point of salvation, and this is This is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter. We still have a God who is a refuge for his people. When everything else in life is not going well, when everything is falling apart around us, we still have a God who offers us salvation. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for us to redeem us from the power of sin and rescue us from the consequences of a life apart from him. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he desires to be God with you if you let him. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 337. We were meant to live with God. In the Old Testament, the Bible begins, mankind lives with God in a garden of paradise. Perfect relationship with God. But then we messed it up. Joel chapter 3 verse 18 describes a land healed of the damage of locusts, a land of paradise once again. That imagery is repeated. That that is what God offers each and every one of us today. Paradise with him for eternity. That is what salvation is about. That is why Jesus died and rose. That's what he brings us. But in the valley of decision, that decision is yours. The Lord saves his people. We know that. Predestined. We already know that the Lord saves his people. What is not predestined is who will be his people. You get to choose. The church will be saved. Done. Will you be a part of the church, the bride of Christ? Will you be a part of his people? That is up to you. If that's something you want to talk about, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.